Tell me if this sounds familiar. You are the wife and you know that your anniversary is coming soon and you are starting to drop hints to your husband that you would like for him to plan the most romantic, wonderful celebration for your anniversary. You're even willing to go ahead and set up the childcare. But you know, two days before the actual anniversary, he glances over at you and says, so what do you wanna do for your anniversary? And you're like, all I wanted was for you to surprise me and, and make a plan. And now you're feeling a little discouraged and maybe you're feeling a little sorry for yourself. Or maybe, see if this one sounds familiar, maybe you are a dad and you are thinking, you know, it'd be a great idea for me to coach my little kid, my son in uh, Little League, and, and it's just going to be fun. And you tell the kids, we're just here for fun. But then you say to them, but winning is a lot of fun. And that competitive side just cannot stay seated. And you find yourself red-faced in your kid's face, maybe giving them a little bit too much constructive criticism. And you can't figure out why the competition always seems to get to you. Or maybe, maybe you find yourself scrolling mindlessly through social media and every picture and every post kind of makes you feel like you just don't measure up. Like you're comparing yourself and their house is better and their relationship seems more romantic and their kids are much more attractive than mine. And you find yourself not measuring up. Or maybe you show up to the office at work and you have these kind of thoughts. You know, it'd be nice if somebody else would pick up the slack around here every once in a while, but it just seems to always be me. It's like I don't even work with adults. It's like I'm the only adult around and I'm the only one who can be responsible. And, you know, maybe, just maybe, <sighs> here's the, the reality. The reality is all of our behaviors are predictable to some degree. And what might feel like an emotional impulse or a cycle that just continues to keep going and keep going actually might just be something, a behavior that is incredibly predictable. And I have great news. I have great news for us tonight. You ready for it? We do not have to be trapped by these patterns of behavior anymore. We do not have to feel stuck in this habitual, repeated, over and over cycle. Why can't I seem to get it together? Why can't I get this under control? If any of these scenarios felt familiar and you recognize yourself in any way, listen, I am excited about tonight. I'm excited about being able to give you the hope and the reminder that there is change available to every single one of us. Amen? When our behaviors and patterns of behaviors become predictable, we can be on guard. It's like when you're riding down the highway and you start to veer just a little bit. What happens? The rut's in the road, you know what I'm talking about? And it's that little trigger, it's that little reminder for each one of us that says, oh, okay, I gotta focus, let's bring it back in. 
boop, 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 you start to veer again. And it's that little reminder. When we start to see those patterns of behavior that are predictable, it can be a guardrail in our own lives. It can be a way of pulling us back. And I believe, and I hope that you believe tonight, that God designed you for a purpose. He designed you to make a difference. He designed you to impact the people who are around you. He did not die on a cross so that we can spend our lives beating ourselves up about how we don't measure up and about how we're struggling. My name is Andrea Isaacs, um, and I got to be honest, it's a little strange to have your face um, behind you, but um, I am very, very excited and passionate about the Enneagram and what we are going to be talking about tonight. I don't know what level of familiarity you are coming in with. So just really quickly, if this event was kind of your first time hearing about the Enneagram, would you raise your hand for me if this was kind of your first exposure? Yes. Awesome. If you, maybe you've got like six months to a year, you've kind of been hearing about the Enneagram, maybe in the last six months to a year, fantastic. Okay, so a little bit more. And then anybody like two years, three years, like I got a little bit more history on. Okay, fantastic, good. We are going to um, unpack a a lot of of the information, but I recognize that we're kind of coming in um, with some different exposure. And my hope is that by tonight, there's a lot of clarity and that it becomes a really valuable tool in your life and a, a way that even the Holy Spirit can begin to speak to you can begin to challenge you, and can begin, here it is, to help all of us become the healthiest possible version that God designed us to be. Amen? You guys excited about that? Listen, the only reason, the only reason that tonight is happening, though, is because of Pastor Micah and Pastor Angel. They are intentional. Come on. Yes. They are intentional about equipping you And not just preaching at you, um, but giving you opportunities, whether it is for your marriage, for your finances, for your mental health, all of these matter. All of these areas matter. And I love that you have pastors who are willing to invest in you and give you an opportunity um, to better understand those areas of your life. Because I I believe that it was said this morning, like God wants to be a part of all of those areas. He wants to be a part of all of them. And the fact that you would drive whatever distance you drove to be here tonight on a Sunday night, some of you probably drove a long distance in the rain. I just love it. I'm glad that you're here. So um, I don't want to waste any more time. I want us to jump right in. But the Enneagram is just an ancient wisdom. And they're going to throw an image up on the screen for us. Enneagram, the first part of that word, Ennea, it just means nine. And we're going to talk about the nine types. And gram uh, is just design or drawing. So literally that's the word broken down. And this is an ancient wisdom that has been passed down um, through different uh, spiritual leaders and, and practices. And in the last couple of decades has really kind of gained some momentum some popularity. And um, it it really is just in the most basic terms, nine ways of thinking and moving and behaving in the world. Um, it, It is a wisdom that says, you're not broken. You're not messed up. You just have 
a certain perspective and way of seeing in the world. And that we're going to look at all of those nine, um, those nine ways, okay? I also want to just point out that each of us, when we wake up each day, and by the time we go to bed at night, have made somewhere around 35,000 decisions. That is a lot. If you're exhausted just from hearing that number, you're like, I don't want to make a, don't ask me where we're eating dinner. Don't ask me, like, I don't want to make another decision. 35,000 decisions. That is in one day. I would have put that number on like a week. In one day. So there is a lot of value in knowing what is driving us in how we make those decisions. What is what is the um, motivation? What is our reasoning behind those decisions? And the Enneagram says that we have three intelligence centers, okay? Three ways that we process information and make decisions. The first of those intelligence centers is the gut. The second is the heart. And then the third one that we're going to talk about is the head. And this makes sense, right? You'll hear people say things like, I don't know, I just have a gut instinct about it. Or you might know people or maybe you are someone who very much kind of processes information or makes decisions um, very emotionally. That would be the heart. Or then we all know or have people in our lives who value and really lean into logic and reasoning and analyzing. They're constantly kind of have their minds going and thinking um, about things. And so that is where I want us to start our, our conversation tonight about the Enneagram. It's where and how do we make decisions? How do we process? And once we uncover that, then the decisions and the behaviors don't seem so shocking. They don't seem so surprising um, to each one of us. So I want to start with the gut. And um, I saw that most of you have, have taken some kind of test or assessment. Um, we'll get into that in just a little bit. I have a little bit of a love-hate relationship with those tests. So if you're a little panicked, I don't know. I don't, they were asking so many questions, and it's a lot, and I just don't know. That's okay. Hang with me. Um, because the, the truth is, um, you know yourself Honestly, you know what's going on inside of you uh, better than any test could ever predict or say. And so you, I'm going to free you up right here. You get to decide. Oh, there it is. You, you get to decide. But if you um, found yourself maybe identifying as an eight, a nine, or a one, all of those three types are in what we call the gut center, the gut intelligence center. And these three types have some commonalities. They have some similarities. They're very active and physical. Um, they're, they're kind of doing um, quite a bit. And very much when they walk into a room, the energy and, and feeling of that room is very visceral. It's very physical for them. There's an intensity. Uh, maybe even they might carry stress in their bodies, their shoulders or my back or my, my stomach, like it's, it's just everything that's happening for them is in their bodies, okay? Then the next center is the heart center, and these are types two, three, and four, and these are all of our feelers. Could you imagine a world without feelers? It would be so sad. So all of these types, two, three, and four, they can walk into a room and almost immediately perceive like, I think they might have just had a fight. 
They probably got into an argument on the way over here. I don't know. Something just seems a little off with her. They are reading people and the emotions of others and of themselves all of the time. And that is the primary like data or information that they're taking in, okay, if that makes sense. Then the last um, triad that we have is the head. And the head, those are types five, six, and seven. And again, these are your just kind of cerebral, like in their heads, in their minds, thinking, processing um, all of the information, everything that is presented to them kind of comes in as data, all right, that can be analyzed or can be looked at logically. All right, so um, just a little side tip. If you are maybe between numbers, um, you're, you're, you're stuck. This can be the first place to help you hone in on which number really is the dominant type for you. And that's an important phrase, just dominant type. That just means that is the one that you kind of land on as home base. All of us, this may be shocking, have pieces or elements of all nine types. And that is a beautiful thing. But for each of us, there is a dominant kind of default setting is a way that I would uh, reference it. It's where you are or how you behave when you're on autopilot, when you don't have to think consciously about your behaviors, about your, um, how you make decisions, um, your defense mechanisms, all of that is tied into whatever your dominant type is. And this is maybe um, a helpful analogy. I am a teacher, um, a high school teacher, and I have my own personal laptop that I carry to work with me. And my home printer at my house is my default printer for that laptop. And every time I go into my classroom and I need to print something, I have to go in and change printers. I have to change it to my school printer. Now, it may be an option for me to make the school printer my default printer, but I don't want to do that. That's not my home printer. It's not the one that I use most frequently. But I have the option and I have the ability to know when it's appropriate for me to change that default setting. Make sense? So when you really uncover what is my default setting, that is in no way meant to box you in. That is in no way meant to say, I'm going to stick this label on you and you are going to behave in a stereotypical way all of the time. No. The way that I would like for us to think about it is this is my default setting, but I always have the ability to read a situation or recognize a scenario when it would be healthy and appropriate for me to come in and override that. Okay. So that's a way, that's maybe a way, way to think of it. Um, I want us to um, just kind of work through each of the types and you've got a packet in front of you and hopefully this will be um, a a healthy kind of starting point um, for all of us. Okay. There is also, if you'll, if you turn to the very back of the packet, there is a blank Um, page. If you want to jot down questions, if you want to make notes, if you um, have anything that you are um, curious or or wondering, we are actually going to have a spot at the end for Q&A. Do you want to show them? There is a slide. So if you want to jot down this number, 502-762-2295, if you want to jot that on your notes page, if you have a question, um, we're going to try and unpack some of those by the end of today. Okay? You guys excited about learning? You good? You here? You with me? All right. So you've got your packet, and um, we're going to start with uh, the ones, all right? And um, my goal is always 
all ways to talk about the Enneagram in a way that is full of hope and encouragement, not in a way that makes you feel like this. Like, oh my goodness, is that my number? Really? Like, that's who I am? Oh my word. Uh, That is, maybe it sounds like some of you have already kind of had that experience. It's okay. You're in good company. It's all right. Okay, so we're going to start with the ones who probably feel like, no, don't start with us. Um, The ones in the world, all right? I'm going to talk about motivation. I'm going to give you a description for each type. Um, And so you've got some of that in front of you, but if something resonates or you want to add a little bit to it, um, you've got those notes in front of you, all right? The first thing right out of the gate, ones are hardwired. And I love this about them. They just like came out of the womb knowing right from wrong. Okay. They're like, what are the rules? What are the boundaries? What's expected of me? How am I supposed to behave? Can you please tell me right now? Because I need to know. All right. Yes. And this, I love it. People are already like, yeah. Okay. We call them oftentimes the perfectionists because there is this deep held belief in them that if they will work hard enough, it will be perfect. Okay, that is the motivation behind so much of what they are doing. But I've been told by some ones that they do not like that term, which is even more funny to me. Um, And so sometimes we call them reformers because they call all of us higher. They ask of us to reform our behavior because there is a belief also in ones that if everyone else would just follow the rules, we would live in perfect harmony. So the ones are absolutely motivated to, to do good, to be good, to perfect, um, and, and they believe it's possible. They absolutely believe that it is possible, and that is, that's essential um, to understanding a one. But with all of that comes a little bit of angst, all right, because there is this internal voice inside of them that is saying, come on, you can do better. And that builds a lot of, of anger and tension and kind of um, that, whatever that is. That's what it does to them. And they're trying to be good and be on their best behavior. And they're like, no, it's fine. It's good. I'm not angry. It's okay. It's okay. And it comes out sideways sometimes. You know how that happens. All right. And so uh, they, they have a deadly sin of anger that they're constantly trying to rein in and keep in check. And it can come out a little bit sideways um, in the form of criticism, in the form of being judgmental or harsh towards other people. Um, so it's something that they have to constantly be on lookout for, okay? Um, let's talk, I'm, I'm going to do uh, nine and eight just to cover that, uh, that whole triad, and then we'll, I'll get back on the right track, okay? Um, I want to talk about the nines um, for just a second. The nines are the peacekeepers of the world, okay? The nines are, have an a deep, deep desire for status quo, for keeping everything right here. We're good. Everybody's good. Don't rock the boat. Like stability, peace, all of this is very, very key for them. And so they absolutely abhor conflict. They, they, they are going to run from anything that might offend or upset or, you know, ooh, and they're spending a lot of their energy keeping that calm and that peace inside of themselves not just with everybody else that's a big job as well 
but it's also what's going on inside of them. And so their behaviors um, will do whatever it takes to kind of not do anything uncomfortable. All right. So their deadly sin where they struggle is they, um, it's sloth. Okay. It is, I don't want to do the dishes that are piled in the sink. So I'm going to go over here and cut the grass. It's not that they have to go take a nap or be lazy. It's an avoidance technique. That's uncomfortable. That's going to disrupt my status quo and my peace that's happening. I love it. I see the faces and the giggles. It's so great. Um, And so I'm going to go do this thing over here. Uh, It's a way of distracting themselves. It's a way of avoiding the thing that's going to make them uncomfortable. The other struggle that nines have because they're so aware of not wanting to rock the boat is that they will self-efface. And what that means is that a nine will say, I, I, I'm good, my opinion doesn't matter. Or they'll kind of pull back and not really value their own opinion or their own perspective um, on things. And so you have to kind of help them um, with that. And then eights, let's talk about the eights, and then that'll kind of round out our, um, our, our whole triad for, for the guts. Eights are the highest energy group of the entire Enneagram. They have enough passion for the rest of us. They are, think of it as just like that flaming torch that like never goes out. Like it is passionate and intense all of the time. They are quite often looking for a fight. And the reason is because they actually are very, very aware of injustice that has happened in the world. And they want to make a difference. They want people to be as fired up as they are about things. Why can't you get behind this? Come on, don't you see we need to go after it? Okay, so there is an aggression um, to the eights. But the majority of the time they are, um, well, I say it like this. They're either going to set the world on fire or they're going to set the world on fire. Okay, they, they've got some acts to grind, okay? And they can't understand why everybody else is not as passionate about it as they are. And speaking of passion, lust is their deadly sin. And it doesn't just have to be sexual. It is, it's about passion. It's about experiencing intensity. They crave it. They just can't get enough of it. All right, so everything has to be like, ugh, like that kind of, what, again, whatever that is. That's what they're after a little bit, okay? That eight, nine, and one, that is the gut triad. Here is something um, profound about what all three of these types have in common. The negative emotion that they are all three dealing with is anger or rage. So any time that any of those types are kind of under stress or, or you know, things are, are getting ready to kind of leak out, it is going to be um, expressed or suppressed or repressed um, anger, okay? But here is something powerful. There is a way for all of those types to be restored. There is a way for all three types to kind of allow God to 
uh, quiet that rage. And for eight, nine, and one, uh, the solution for that is stillness. Stillness. We said at the beginning that if it is the gut triad and they're constantly taking in information in their body and it's very physical and they're very, they're very much doers, um, they're, they're very much kind of always um, seem to need to be doing something in some form or fashion, stillness is a real challenge. So when they make the choice to get still, that is when the Holy Spirit and when God can begin to do an amazing work in each one of them and bring them to a place of restoration and healing. But if you talk to an eight, a nine, or a one, even when you say, hey, can you get still? It's like <laughs> a caged animal. So it's a learned behavior. It's a great place to start for health for any of those types. Okay? All right, let's move on to the heart. All of my heart people, um, I, I obviously love you dearly, okay? So twos, threes, and fours. Let's talk about the twos, all right? The twos, these are your natural-born lovers. These are your natural-born. They, they aim to please. They love to serve. It is not a pretense. They are motivated to help you with whatever you need help with. <laughs> and in fact, they probably know what you need more than you know what you need. And they are very attuned to making that happen for you. They are motivated to have your appreciation and your love. They are asking you if you're hungry or if you need a sandwich or if you're too cold or can they get you a pillow or what do you need? They are doing all of that. Yes, it's genuine, and they want to serve, and they want to love you, but they're expecting that reciprocation. They're expecting that appreciation or that love in return. And when it doesn't happen, that is when you see what their deadly sin is, and it's pride, right? So it might go something like this, like, I mean, did you not see the sandwich that I made for you and the whole glass of tea? I mean, it's your favorite kind of sandwich, and how come you didn't say anything? And I also had your house slippers ready for you when you got home, and it's no big deal, it's no big deal, it's fine. Okay, so the twos in your life, if you are a two or if you know a two, they, first of all, want to help, but they want to know that you recognize that they helped and that they took care of you and that they met your needs, all right? So their deadly sin, their struggle is that pride because they can be a little bit needy and a little bit kind of wanting that in return, all right? But they are the most feely of feely, 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 feely. You're, they're like, are these your feelings or my feelings? Because I'm feeling what you're feeling and we're feeling it all feely, feely together, Threes. The threes are your high achieving, super successful. Give them a to-do list that is 20 miles long and watch them knock it out, but you better give them a gold star for it. They, if twos are motivated for your appreciation, threes are motivated for your approval. They want to know that you think they're awesome. Okay, it makes me think of Maui on uh, Moana. He's like, you're welcome. You know, like I'm awesome and you're lucky that I'm here because I'm awesome. <laughs> Just so you know, I'm awesome. 
I'm obviously having a little bit of fun with, with the threes, but they are highly competent, very high energy, and they are really good at a lot of things, and it drives them, okay? They are absolutely motivated to accomplish, but they are seeking that validation that comes from other people. That's the motivation behind um, their talents, their success, their achievements. Super competitive, okay? Going to be great in areas like business and things that are highly rewarding, promotions, money, compensation, incentives, things like that. Definitely going to drive a three. I have to tell this story. I have a best friend who is a three. I mean, she is the poster child for a three. And every year at Easter, her family has an Easter egg hunt that her grandmother puts a hundred dollar bill in the Easter egg. You would think that as a good mom, she might let her children go and win that Easter egg hunt, but knew every year she is the reigning champ. And it is a title that she holds with immense, immense amounts of pride. Okay, good job. So that's the threes in the world, all right? They are amazing at helping to get things done, not just get them done, but get them done with excellence. Um, They want, they appearance matters, and looking good in in every aspect um, really matters. Their deadly sin and where they are going to struggle is dishonesty because they are presenting things in the best possible light for themselves. And while they are in that heart triad, they're actually very disconnected from their own feelings. They are highly aware of everyone else's. That's why they're good at sales, because they can read people really, really well. Okay? So the threes, um, high achieving, high energy, getting a lot done. Okay? Then our last type in the heart triad is the fours. And I say all the time, I can't imagine a world without fours because it would be a dark and dreary and not beautiful place. Fours are your creative, artistic. These are the people who see beauty in the world, but they are also well acquainted with sorrow and grief and sadness. They experience the full range of emotions in a way and to a depth that the rest of us cannot even comprehend. Okay, so they, they're, talk to a four just about the vocabulary that they have for their emotions. And you'll be like, I did not know that there were that many words. Okay, you're like, I got sad, mad, and glad. All right, that's what I'm working with. <laughs> that's about it. Okay, but a four will be like, but are you, you know, vengeful about that betrayal, you know, whatever. I'm, again, exaggerating. Um, But the fours are absolutely motivated to find significance in the world. There is a piece to every four that believes that they, that something is missing internally. They believe that there is something that they do not have that everyone else has. And so that leads to envy. That is their deadly sin. And here's something so tricky. So it's not jealousy. There is a difference between jealousy and envy. Jealousy is, I want your car, your thing, that object, that item. Envy is, I want to feel the way that you feel about your marriage or your house or your car or your career or your kids or whatever the case may be. 
So fours often struggle. Don't ever tell a four, this is the best movie I've ever seen. Because they'll be like, well, it wasn't like that for me. Like there is in their mind not a way for something to live up to the experience that you had. And they are envious of that. So there is a real struggle, a real struggle, a real tension. Um, and, And that actually is what creates a lot of the art that we will see, the writing, the painting, the drawing, the creating that happens for a four because they believe if I write this book, I will be significant. If I paint this painting, I will finally feel the way that other people feel. Or if I achieve or accomplish like creating this thing, like I will somehow make an impact or or find significance, okay? So all of those types, two, three, and four, the emotion, just like we talked about anger with eight, nine, and one, the negative emotion that they're dealing with is shame. Two, three, and four. When they are struggling, when they are in just an emotional space that is really challenging, it is going to be around shame. So if you have people in your life who fall into that category, that is a beautiful place for you to begin to speak life and encouragement into them. Just knowing that that is something that they have probably struggled with. And just like the eight, nines, and ones can be restored through stillness, two, threes, and fours, here is your healthy tip. Here's what you need. Solitude. Because of the amount of emotions that you are taking in and processing and dealing with, whether it's other people's emotions or your emotions or a combination of the two, the only way for you to get a break from that is solitude, isolation, being away from other people. And it has to be like genuine getting away from people, not like sitting in Starbucks, like there are still people at Starbucks. You have to get away. That is giving your, your, your all of that processing, um, you know, centers. It's giving it a break. It's giving it some reprieve. It's giving it a chance to recover and allowing God, the Holy Spirit, to kind of speak some encouragement to you. But you have to get away from other people in order for that to happen. Okay, you guys good? You still with me? All right, we got one more triad to work through, and it's my favorite because I'm in this triad and my awesome husband is in this triad, so I'm a little partial. The last triad is the head triad. This is our fives, sixes, and sevens, okay? So I'm going to start with the fives, and I love talking about the fives because I am married to a five, okay? That is his dominant type. Fives are absolutely um motivated to find answers and information. They want to dig in and they want to dig in deep to whatever that topic is that has their interest. They will deep dive in it, okay? They are the most um, kind of socially withdrawn of any of the types. They are observers. They are constantly kind of taking in and, and people watching Maybe not so much all the time about the people, but that's okay. And they, if my energy tank for people is like this, a five's energy tank is like this. Okay? So they wake up in the morning, and if they have to go to a staff meeting, 
is like a little bit less of that tank. And then they take a phone call and it's a little bit less. And then they go to a lunch and they're like, oh, and they're like, I don't know if I'm going to make it to four o'clock. And they have to get to a place where they can recharge. And the only way for them to be, to be recharged is to be alone, like away from the people. They want to read a book. They want to think. They want to be alone with their thoughts. And then they'll recharge. And they've got this much energy left. And they'll come home and they're like, the kids want to talk. And then my wife needs something. And then the phone call happened. And then they're like, am I going to make it to 8 p.m.? So a five, the best thing that you can do for a five in your life is to let them recharge. Because you will be better and thankful for it. And they will be better and thankful for it. But they are constantly looking at the world around them, figuring out ways to take it apart and put it back together again. And you can pretty much put your money on the fact that if they have made a decision about something, it's probably the right decision. Because they have put a lot of time and energy into thinking about that. They are phenomenal architects for new ideas, for new solutions, for answers and to solving problems and things like that, okay? Their deadly sin is greed. And it's not just about money. It can very much fall into the category of money. But how we talked about that limited reserve um, or tank uh, that they have for people, it kind of feels that way about everything. They don't have enough resources. They don't have enough time. They don't have enough information. They don't have enough of any of the things that they feel like are significant. And so they have to constantly kind of be aware, am I hoarding these resources, my time, my energy, my, you know, fill in the blank. Um, And learning how to be generous is a really healthy place for a five. Where are ways for me to be generous? All right, so that's the fives. Then we have the sixes. Little tip for you, a little bit of trivia. Sixes are the most recurring of any Enneagram type. There are a lot of you guys out there, okay? A lot of sixes in the world. Sixes, we call them the loyalists because they are the most dependable and committed people on the planet. They have a deep, deep sense of community, They are naturally kind of tuned in to what is going to be the best for the whole, for the group, and they cannot help but be thinking about how that is going to impact and affect um, lots of people. And their core motivation, what really drives them, is stability and safety and security. All right? So you better believe that the sixes in your life, and if you are a six, they know where the exits are to this building. They know what their plan would be if we all of a sudden had a tornado. They know exactly where they're going. If the rain turns into snow, they've got snow tires, and they are ready to go. All right? The sixes definitely, if they are left unchecked, can kind of go down the rabbit trail of what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, but then what if, again, I have to just tell this story, another good friend of mine, she's a six, absolutely convinced she can never go on a cruise because there are pirates and she will get trapped by one, end of story. They are coming for her. You will not get me on a boat, no way. All right, so you gotta gotta help the sixes out, remind them, that, well, first of all, they, they have lots of questions, and that's okay. 
They got questions. They got more questions than you could even possibly imagine. Um, But if you will let them kind of work through those questions, all right, let's come to a good decision. Go ahead, ask me all your questions. It will put them at ease, and then you can make a decision. And then when they start to second guess that decision, you can say, no, we already talked about all the questions, and we made a decision, and we're going to stick with that decision, okay? Because inside of them, they are doubting themselves all of the time. They are second-guessing themselves, and they are looking for people in their circle, whether it is their pastor, an authority figure, their boss, their spouse. They are looking for someone to help them find that security, to find that steady place that says, it's going to be okay. We made a decision. You made a great decision, and we're going to stick with that decision. Okay? Their deadly sin is fear. That is going to be the area that trips them up the most. And so how beautiful is it that we get to remind ourselves if we are a six or we get to remind the sixes in our life, God is in control and he has not given you a spirit of fear. Okay, so you can encourage and remind the sixes in your life about that truth. You can help them combat some of that fear and build their faith up. All right. Okay. You ready for the last one? We got it. We made it all the way to seven. All the way. Yes. Sevens. Here we go. Sevens are characteristically the life of the party. Yes. Okay. They are a spark. They are, um, again, high energy. They are on the worst side of things. A lot like that Peter Pan guy trapped in believing that they should never have to grow up and that life can always be a party, all right? But in a really good, healthy place, a seven can bring so much joy and levity to your life. Um, and, And that is an aspect, that's a characteristic of God that they really demonstrate. Sevens, um, are fun to be around and again kind of bring a lot of energy with them they're a spark they're a little bit of a firework okay again unchecked in some unhealthy places they bounce a lot from idea to idea from career to career um if you if if sevens don't have some healthy accountability in their life i mean they are they can you know really have some addiction issues because they want to do the things that feel good and they want to do them all of the time. The motivation behind a seven, in case you haven't figured it out, I am a seven. Okay. The motivation, this is like, speaking to me, the motivation for a seven is to not feel pain or sorrow or sadness or discomfort. It is what drives them. They do not in any way, shape, or form ever want to be experiencing displeasure. So they seek pleasure to combat that, all right? They are fast-paced, and they are always kind of forward-moving because whatever happened back here does not deserve any of my attention, and here we go. Obviously, that can lead, again, to some unhealthy behaviors, Has anybody seen the movie Inside Out? Y'all know this movie, Pixar. All right, you're with me. It's my people. So there is a character in Inside Out that is definitely a seven. Her name is Joy. All right, and she is the queen of reframing situations. She's like, it's okay. 
we're going to make a clean slate out of this bedroom and it's going to be great. All right, but she's got all of the other characters, if you've seen the movie, anger and disgust and fear um, and sadness, all right, hanging out. And she's like, sadness, you've got to go. Okay, that is my head, like 24-7. That is where I live. If you have not seen that movie, watch it with your kids. It will teach you some things, all right? But the point of the movie is that there is a place for sadness and joy, that God helps us to understand the sorrow and suffering of, of the human state, but that we don't have to be stuck. We don't have to be stuck in that place of sadness or discouragement, but we can give honor to those moments. We can recognize that it is the goal is not to push negative feelings out of the way. There is an ability to sit in uh, a moment with someone who's grieving, or to sit beside somebody um, who has, you know, gone through something difficult, all right? So sevens, um, you struggle with, I struggle with, we struggle with the deadly sin of gluttony because we want to overdo it. We want to experience all of that pleasure, and we want to experience as much of it as possible. Give it all to me, and give it to me now, okay? So in looking at all of these areas, it is the perfect opportunity for us to begin to ask the Holy Spirit, what do I need to see about myself and the way that you made me that I have been asleep to? So think about before understanding or knowing the Enneagram that in a way, a lot of us are asleep we're on autopilot, we're moving through the world and kind of doing our thing, and we feel like we have no control uh, of our actions, our personalities, what motivates us, what, what we're doing, um, how we're operating. But understanding where we fall, it does a couple of things. Understanding what our dominant type is, it does a couple of things for us. First of all, it helps us to maybe see areas that we were asleep to, blind to, that have really been driving our friends and family and coworkers crazy. Okay, I'll give you an example um, for myself. So I, again, in just an attempt to do life very quickly and move very fast and um, things like that, always put my makeup on in the car. Like, oh, well, we've got to go and here we go and we're going to do this. And living your life like that, while that is a small example, it is a metaphor for the fact of never being present in the moment, never living intentionally, always doing things kind of last minute, um, haphazardly, and it's just dangerous. <laughs> like driving and putting your makeup on, it's just not a wise choice, okay? But it can, it can really help us to start to see where have we been doing things that we thought were normal, we thought were not problematic, but is maybe just maybe driving everyone else crazy, okay? So that's, that's a starting point. The other reason that the Enneagram is helpful and can be a tool is that it can empower each one of us to see that God made us that way. God designed each one of us to be specific in demonstrating a quality of his goodness, of his character. Um, and, and I think that it is a beautiful thing um, for me to learn what does a healthy seven look like as opposed to, 
to buying into this idea. Well, I need to look more like a one. And maybe you might not say it like that. Maybe you know a person who, who is dominant in a certain type. And so you have decided in your mind, if I'm going to be um, an adult, a, a Christian, a follower of Christ, I need to look more like fill in the blank. And the truth is, that's not the right answer. I'm thankful for mentors in our lives. I'm thankful. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. That is amazing. But Paul had some skill sets that other people did not have. And if we can figure out, God, what is your plan and your design for me? And what is that supposed to look like? Now I've got some work to do that I can be excited about and not full of shame or anger or fear, okay? Not feeling like I'm not measuring up. Not feeling like I am somehow so broken that I can never um, be fixed. There is a place just like um, the scriptures that talk about the body of Christ. You know, some are hands and some are the head and some function as the fingers. That, if you think about, again, can we throw that, Im- that image up again of the Enneagram? All nine numbers. I love that it's in a circle. No one is at the head. No number is better or more significant than any other number. They all share a space in contributing to the design of God's kingdom. So if we can tap into, okay, I think that my dominant type is two. God, what will you do with that? God, what will you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, begin to unveil to me the ways in which I can be the strongest, healthiest, most whole version of who you created me to be. Amen? Amen. Um, I want to give us a chance, and we're going to do two things before we wrap up tonight. Um, The first, I'm going to actually invite, can y'all give a warm welcome to my husband, Jason Isaacs? I know that it is a lot to unpack the Enneagram in this kind of setting and that people probably have a lot of questions. And so we wanted to give you an opportunity. They're going to put, oh, good, it's up there, that number. Um, Again, if you have a question, maybe you've been sitting here or maybe as you took your test, you were wondering, what is this all about? And I don't even know. Um, We would love to just take a few moments um, to answer some of those questions. So what do you think? What do we got? um, Isn't he cute? He's so cute. Sorry, go ahead. Thank you. Um, nobody really said amen on that, that. (laughs) but I appreciate that you feel that way. It's good. Um, so a couple of questions came in, just like going through the numbers, missed some information. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, and so, uh, I want to pull those up here. Um, uh, one person said, I missed the dominant emotion for the five, six, seven. Oh yeah. It's anger. I'm sorry. It's fear and anxiety. I apologize. That is a great question. It's fear and anxiety. So all of those types, uh, five, six, and seven that are in that headspace, they are all struggling with fear. What's the healthy practice to combat that? Oh, thank you. Yes. Okay. So the healthy practice is um, silence. Wait, I'm sorry. Yep. <laughs> five, six, and seven. Fear and anxiety. Is the negative emotion. So with, that, with each triad, there's a negative emotion. Yes, thank you. I'm so sorry. And then there's a healthy, a healthy practice. So like for the, 
eights, nines, and ones, it was solitude. It was stillness. Stillness, sorry. And then the next solitude. solitude. And then for this one, it's silence. Silence. We got to get quiet. Yeah. We got to get quiet. That's great. I'm sorry I missed that. That's all right. That's good. Um, what do people mean when they say, quote, in stress or, quote, in yeah. health, they move to another number? Okay, I love it. Can we put the... Um, that's great. The question's up there. Okay, can we put the image back up there? Because it'll make more sense when I can jump. Okay. All right. So I'm going to s- start with a seven because that's what I am and that's the easiest one to talk about. Okay, so see where the seven is and how there's a line that goes to the one and there's a line that goes to the five. Nod your head if you see that. Okay, the question, I love it. question again is, what do people mean? What does mean? it mean when, when people use the terminology, I go to this when I'm in stress and I go to this when I'm in health? Okay, you might also hear people say integration, disintegration, or you might hear them say uh, health uh, or growth, yep. or you might hear them say uh, stress. Okay, so the easiest way is visually to look at this. And, and let me just interrupt and say, you may have never heard anyone say that. That's okay. Regardless... What she's about to explain is whatever your number is, when you are your when you are healthy, you're going to pick up traits of another number, and when you're unhealthy, you're going to pick up traits, and every number has one of those. It's l- called lines and arrows. Okay, lines and arrows. If you have um, maybe heard that before, so a seven. When we get stressed out, we have um, an arrow that goes to the one. And I can tell you what that looks like for me. My husband can attest to this too. I get really stressed out. Like, let's say it's the end of Christmas and I'm exhausted from the season and everything is a little chaotic. And I'm like, you know what I need to do? I need to go to Target and I need to buy tubs. I need to label those tubs. And I'm going to type up a piece of paper that has everything that is inside of those tubs. And we're going to get organized for the new year. Come on. And he's like, Andrea is stressed out right now. Anytime we purchase plastic tubs, she is in stress. Acting like an unhealthy one. Acting like a one. Okay. She's stressing. So or I, a yearly planned calendar. Stop it. Or anything like now that. Now you're just hurting Sorry. my feelings. I'm just kidding. Okay. So I have an arrow that goes to the one when I get stressed out. I don't mean to do it. Uh, it's not something that I'm conscious of. Now I'm much more aware of it because of the yep. Enneagram. Um, but my, my default setting of a seven, when a seven gets stressed out, we start to take on the negative side of a one, which is um, I will be judgmental of other people. I will take it as you are getting in the way of me having fun. That's a way that a seven will say that. You are the problem and you are keeping me from having fun. Like, so when you're stressed, our fights are about the fact that like, I'm causing a mess in the house. If the kids weren't fault. a problem, we'd never have a messy house. Yeah. We'd be more organized. If you'd put your clothes in, those are the fights we have. I'd be like, and before just the put Enneagram, your keys on the hanger. That's where they go. And before the Enneagram, I would come home and I would be like, whoa, why do you care all of a sudden about this? And what we started learning is like, okay, this is a chance for me to show a ton of grace because she's stressing about something and she is showing that she's stressed by filling the need yeah. to organize everything in her life. Yeah, get it together. Gonna so get what's organized. like, where's the stress coming from? That's really what's helped us. Here's what's, here's what's good though, because you guys are asking amazing questions. I naturally act that way when I'm stressed out, but here's something powerful. I can, in a healthy place, choose to start to borrow the healthy traits of a one instead of reacting that way when I'm stressed out. I'm gonna say that one more time. When, when a seven is in a healthy place, it doesn't mean don't ever act like a one. You need to stay far away from the ones. Don't do that. That's bad news. No. 
Think about it like this. When you go to the gym, you want to stress your muscles, right? That's how they get stronger. You choose to kind of put resistance or stress on them, and that's how you grow. If you can use that arrow or that line and say, I want to cultivate some of the organizational traits of a one, some of the productivity of a one, some of the routine and discipline of a one. That is not me being reactive. That is me making a choice to say, I want to, I want to now integrate those behaviors of the high side of a one, okay? On the other side, when I am naturally healthy, I will pick up the behaviors of a five. Do you see, if we're looking at the seven, do you see how it makes a line down to the five? Nod your head if you see that. Okay, so this is great because we have seen this play out. When I go on vacation, I am not the life of the party. I act like a five. I want to lay in bed and read books. I don't want to talk to anyone. We vacation great together. Sure do. <laughs> See you at lunch. And I'm See over ya. there and she's over there. Okay, so. And it's fantastic. And we love when, it. And we love it. When I'm healthy, I will naturally behave like the high side of a five. Make sense? So now if you kind of have zeroed in, that can be another way to help you identify your type. If you're still struggling, choose one of the numbers that you think you might be. And then ask yourself, when I get stressed out, do I act like this number? And when I'm healthy, do I act like this number? That can help you narrow in. If you're still having trouble kind of deciding what type you are, um, that can help you. On that same vein, there's also probably questions about wings. Yep, we're going to get to that in just a second. Okay, go ahead. Um, So could you just... Yep. A little more information on what we just talked about. Okay, so lines and arrows. Because I think of all the things that has helped our marriage the most, yeah. it is your ability to recognize this is how I act when I am unhealthy. Yes. And my ability to recognize this, this is, is how, how I act acts. when I'm unhealthy. Right. And then the ability to see it in the other hmm. and to recognize that, like, this is not, like, I need to support and help you and, and encourage and, like, love you back into health as opposed to fighting and nitpicking and attacking you about the way that you're acting because that's – you are, you are sending out a flare signal, I'm unhealthy right I'm now, in I'm stress. stressed right I'm now. I'm in right. stress. And before we would yeah. fight about that, like, why are you acting like that? You need to stop that. Why do you care all of a sudden? As, and now both of us, what's helped us the most is – oh, instead of me attacking this, let me figure out how I can love and support and help you back into, back into health. And so, like, there are times when, like, you, we just need to organize the garage, and it makes you feel so much better. Or, and that's a, that's a silly example, but it's just a sense of there's something going on that's making you feel out of control. Oh, absolutely. And so, that's, we're just, we're talking about seven because that's you. Right. But... Wherever whatever your number is or whatever your spouse's number is or whatever your boss's number is or whatever it is, if you can figure out like, oh, I'm married to an eight. And so they start they acting like a five. They move to five and stress. Out. Yeah. So it's like, they're not talking to me. There's silence. They're withdrawing. Yeah. Instead of being like, why aren't you talking to me? What's the problem? As opposed to saying, okay, maybe there's some stress happening right now. There's some unhealth happening right now. How can I support and love and comfort and encourage Instead of attack. Yeah, the biggest, to me, the biggest payoff of the Enneagram, yes, personal health 
But number two, I now have immense amounts of grace for other people. I have the ability now so much more readily to go, oh, I see this now. This is how God wired you. This is what's happening. This is who you are. And instead of being frustrated, I now can go, okay, I I get it. I see exactly what's happening. And I'm able to show grace and mercy and compassion as opposed to feeling like I need to put up a fight or I need to stand my ground or whatever. And I think it's also giving permission because once you recognize your number and you recognize your negative unhealthy tendencies. Right. So several years ago, you know, I said to you, I don't realize when I zone out. So I, I, I don't realize, I cannot talk to anybody for a week and be like, wow, that was an amazing week. It's and really you productive. say, hello, hey, family over uh, here. You got a wife and kids over here. And I'm like, man, I just feel like I've been so enlightened. No. And, and, I was like, and so I need you to help me, my wife, my spouse, my, you know, my partner. Pull I out. need you, I'm giving you permission yes. to come over and like close the laptop or take the book out of my hand and say, hello. We're married, and that's not you <laughs> nagging. That is you throwing me a lifeline. That's right. Hey, five. That's right. Like, come back over here with us, everybody. Join civilization. And once we, once we kind of yeah. gave each other permission, like, you're not nagging me. You're not attacking me. You're yeah. helping me. You're yeah. saving me. You're encouraging me because I need you yeah. to pull me out of my corner with my book, doing my thing. And he will do that's the same unhealthy. thing. He'll do the same thing to me, He'll, he, you know. Again, we keep using the example. Sometimes it's in the pattern of reorganizing the cabinets. Sometimes it's in the pattern. He will say, what's really going on right now? What are you really worked up about? What's happening? So it really does give you insight. And, and we, I don't feel like it is a, well, anyway, go on to the next question. Go ahead. Sure. I think so. Okay. All right. Um, let me give you a couple rapid fires that yeah, are let's, similar. Let's do it. Um, Somebody wanted to know, and these are not, these came in while we've been talking, so they're not back there for you. What age can you determine a child's number? Oh, okay. So this is a great question. Um, According to kind of Enneagram, like the super experts, they would say it really kind of gets solidified between eight and 11. But I have attempted like subtly to do some of this with my high school students. They're not ready. Like their brain and self-awareness and all of that just really is not at a place where they can self-evaluate. Really, most people will tell you like you need to be in your later 20s, maybe even your 30s um, before you are somewhere. But I think you can start to see patterns of behavior in your kids. But I would be very, I would just caution against labeling or typing. But if you, let's say that you believe that you have a child who maybe has some uh, behaviors of a four, it might cause you to be more patient. You know what? I'm not going to tell them that they need to cheer up. They're sad right now. That was really hurtful. Their friend hurt their feelings. And it will help you maybe to lean into some grace for your kids. Or let's say that your kid, you see some like some of that one behavior. You're like, mm, there might be something here. Helping them to find places of fun and levity and places where they can be spontaneous instead of feeling like they have to have a perfect report card, a perfect clean room. Um, So I think the best advice in terms of parenting is don't uh, use it as a way for you to parent your kid, but not to like project onto your kid. Does that make sense? Emphasis on the rapid fire here. Oh, sorry. Um, 
is got uh, it. Got it. Somebody wants to know what's the best number you could have. I cannot answer. I mean, I have an opinion, but no, they're all the There's same. There's no best number. They're, except, except the threes are like, well, no, threes actually kind of the best number. <laughs> we are the best. No. no there's no best number. There's there, nine normals. There's nine normals, nine ways of seeing the world, and it's all great. Yep. Uh, somebody wants to know, do certain numbers pair better with other numbers? I, I think that there are patterns that you can see. Like, I see a lot of couples that are nine and one. I see a lot of couples that are six and two. I see a lot. Like, so, I, I mean, I think you can start to see patterns, but I don't think that there is like a, well, let me make my list for the perfect man and he better be a three. And, you know, like, I don't think that it works <laughs> quite like that. But you can start to see, like, how and why certain numbers might be attracted. Um, somebody just asked the question uh, about the arrows. Yeah. And I don't know that we have time to unpack it. Okay. But they were wondering, like, which line is good and which line's bad. Yeah. Maybe. You, if you just Google an image, like Enneagram, lines, and arrows, you will see it. The arrow is the stress. The line is the health or the growth. So it, it feels weird because it's going to point to your one that is stressful. Um, but... Yes, that's the shortest answer. Okay, overwhelmingly, I think two things to hear here. Overwhelmingly, the biggest question that we got was, okay. I, I'm a two with a seven and a nine. Yeah. Or I took the test three times and yeah. I got three numbers. Yeah. Or yeah. like, the, like yep. can I be both? And like just maybe unpack that a little that bit. A little okay, bit. fantastic. So here is, uh, yeah, okay. Okay. Can you be more than one type? Here, here, this is good. This is, this is super productive. You get to decide what your dominant type is. And the way that you decide is when you read about it, hear someone talking about it, when you look into it, the type that is making you go like, whoa, that is a little bit like a gut punch. Like, how did somebody get inside of my head? Like, that is spooky. Um, or maybe even the one that you shy away from, like, well, I mean, am I like that? Like, that is, I really, whoa, like whatever that number is, that is your dominant type. That is your home base. And the question I get a lot is like, does it change? And you know, just how can I be sure? Or how do I know? You get to decide. Like if you're like, well, I'm a little bit of a three and I think I'm a little bit of a seven. And I got some nine in there too. I think that there is probably an explanation for why. Think about, again, where those numbers or types go in health and stress. So you, you're probably picking up a little bit of that. Um, but once you find your dominant type, you're not, we all have pieces of all nine types. But what is important to focus on is where is my home base? Where is my dominant type? Because that will speak to motivation. That will speak to why you do the things that you do and then go from there. So if you took the test and you got like two was my high and then seven and then nine and then four, but my, but my eight was really low. That's it's not, not the, the Myers-Briggs where it's like break it ranking down. of numbers. No. The only number that really matters is your top Dominant number. Type. And One then, number. And then confirm that One with number. the information you read and the things that she said. So when she says you get to pick, it doesn't mean you're like, hmm. I'll take that one. I want to be a nine. Yeah. It, it no. means as I'm reading about it and hearing about it, yeah. that one is the one that sounds the most like me. And if you're not sure, ask the people who love you the most. Like, I'm, e I'm either a nine or I'm a six. 
like which one, and, and that can help you as well, but it may take some time, yes. which leads us to our next question about wings, Yes. because one of the things that we have discovered, and this happened with me for sure, is that sometimes you can feel like or think that you're a number, but it all doesn't line up, Yeah. and sometimes that's because you are in the number next to your number, so we, yeah. for three months, we were like, I'm a four, I'm a four, I'm a four, and then it was like, oh my gosh, no, I'm a five, yeah. but I got a lot of four in me, so Will talk about wings. The, the diagram up again? Okay, so if you hear somebody say something like, I'm a seven with an eight wing, you cannot be a seven with a two wing. The, own, the, the, the language for wing has to be a next door neighbor. So if you're a three, you can only have a two wing or a four wing. Make sense? Okay, and all that a wing means is that you are next door neighbors to that type and you have learned how to borrow some of those behaviors. All right, and you can do even a little bit more digging for what does, like um, a seven with a six wing looks different than a seven with an eight wing. So that can be another way of explaining like, well, you're a seven, am I a seven? We're kind of different. Okay, there, there's an explanation for that. So let's just, for just the, the last few moments, because we want to try to be as incredibly practically helpful as possible. When it comes to parenting, when it comes to marriage, uh, relationships with friends, coworkers, the ability to be self-aware, I love the way that you opened and you talked about, you know, I'm at, why, why am I, you know, I tried to teach my kids golf, my older kids golf, and I was, you know, at four or five years old, I'm wanting them to watch YouTube videos about technicality, you know, and I'm like, why am I like this, you know, but, but it's because once you're able to understand, like, this is how God wired me which makes me great, which gives me a superpower, which gives me an ability to really make a difference in the world. But my tendencies, my unhealthy tendencies are also going to pop up this way. It gives you a chance to really prepare yourself for your tendencies. And so I know that as a five, my tendency is to be too withdrawn. I know that. And I want to work against that, but that's my default printer necessarily. You know, like that's the way I'm going to act. So in our marriage or with my friends, I have some best friends, some guy friends that will invite me to go hang out. And my answer is always the same. No, I don't want to go. <laughs> I love you, but no, I don't want to go. And they've started saying like, no, you're going. I'll pick you up at seven. Like they, they, they're, gonna, they're not going to let me go in that way. So in your marriage, if you are a six and you can, in your unhealth, you can tend to be fearful or negative or what if, what if, what if. You've got to be able to now know that and know that in my relationship, I am probably stressing out my spouse or annoying my spouse or bringing him down when I am acting in that way. And so I, I need to be aware that that's probably the way that I'm going to go. And what an example that we give is that because I'm a minister and every, I do a lot of weddings and every wedding reception that we go to, I want to leave at 830. <laughs> she wants to shut the party down. Woo! If the DJ hasn't played Macarena, we're not leaving. That's just the rule, right? And so before the, before, the inst- before the Instagram, before the Enneagram. <laughs> or the Instagram. We would get in these huge fights. You're like, why do you want to leave? And I'm like, why do you want to stay? <laughs> and, and it was really after kind of understanding the way that God gave it a language to this. Yeah. So we really want to encourage all of the. Tell the, them what we do, though. You didn't tell them what we do. What's the resolution? We drive separate. Yes. And yes. No and shame. It, and it's totally okay. It's okay. It's totally okay for her to stay till midnight Woo! and just dance her little heart out. 
I'll give you one dance. You tell me what slow song you want to rock back and forth to, and then I'm out. <laughs> and that's what I'm doing. True story. And so marriage is compromised. So at what, what are the times when I'm emptying myself out to, to make her experience special? And what are the times when she's sacrificing to make yes. my experience special? But then there are other times where it's just like, you do you. Go do you. I'll do me. And We're so good. that's not just a five and a seven thing. Right. If you are a four, you've got to know that you are in your bad habits. You're probably way too emotional. Right. When you and your spouse are trying to have a conversation. Yeah. And without the Enneagram, you're like, get over it. What's the big deal? Why are you so emotional? Now you know and you go, okay, this is the way God made you and you bring such beauty to our relationship. Right. But you've got to know I'm probably being too emotional about this. Yeah. If I'm an eight, I'm probably being too aggressive. I'm probably being a little mean. You know, and we could keep going through all these numbers. If you're and a nine, it's not I probably about, need a voice It's my not opinion. about stereotypes. The Enneagram for me felt so empowering to say, I know what healthy looks like now. Yeah. I know what choices I can now be in control of that can help me get to an effective place. It does not make me feel like, oh my goodness, I, I, I act this way and I have to be this way because that's what it says that I am. No, yeah. no, 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 that's right. absolutely not. And so I need, and we're just, just to encourage all the spouses, value the gift Amen. Of, the, of the way God created your spouse because God gave you the person that you need. Come on. So I need her to make my life more fun. Yeah. God forbid something to happen to her. I'd never leave the house. Wow. Ever. I mean, it's true. Pastor Mike would come he, get Pastor Mike would have to come pick me up. He'd come get and you. take me out to, to dinner. <laughs> and, and, and she needs me to calm her down. And so <laughs> when you don't appreciate the gift that God has given you, so true. you say, well, why do you got to be like that? You're always like that. That's so annoying. Why do you always got to do that? As opposed to saying, wow, thank you, God, yes. that you know how you made me yes. and you know how you made her right. and you gave me who I needed yeah. so that I ain't the most old curmudgeon, grumpy. <laughs> and so true. those times when I'm like, oh, Andrea wants to go, you know, blah, blah. it's like, I need this. I need this because, God, you gave me her. Same thing with parenting. What are your tendencies? Yeah. It, I, I always notice the B on the report card instead of the A. I'm a three. I always notice the B. Why don't you make all A's instead of saying, you know what? When I see the report card, my tendency is to focus on the B. Well, let's go get focus. ice cream for all the A's. Like, yeah. prepare myself. Yeah. What's the tendency? That's real good. To, to do that. It's, and it's, it's not just marriage. It's not just parenting. It is seeing the value in your coworkers. It is seeing the value in the people who are on your ministry teams that you're serving with. Where are the things that maybe frustrated me, but I was not seeing it right. God made them that way, and I'm thankful. Um, and we're going to be an encouragement to one another. We're going to be a place where we um, love each other to wholeness, love each other to health all the way. Um, I want to end with this, okay? Hopefully this conversation has been helpful, has it been helpful for you? And that you have maybe leaned into what your type is. And I wanted to end the night with just God's invitation for each of the nine types. And so if you would, um, I, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and I'm going to just read each one of these. I'm in really believing that the Holy Spirit will speak to each one of our hearts. So to the type ones in the room tonight, God's invitation for you 
is that he is saying, I invite you to be free from striving to be right and perfect in order to be worthy of my love and approval. You are already worthy, and my love for you is a free gift to you in Christ. If you are an Enneagram type two, listen, God's invitation for you is that he is saying, I invite you to be free from the belief that you need to help and rescue others in order to be loved, accepted, and held in high regard. You are simply loved regardless of your contribution. For the Enneagram type threes in the room tonight, God is saying to you, I invite you to be free from the need to succeed in order to establish your worth in the world. You have tremendous value regardless of your accomplishments. For the Enneagram type fours tonight, God is saying to you, I invite you to be free from the drive to be unique and the false belief that you will not be loved and noticed if you don't stand out. You are already extraordinary and special because I created you in love and for love. For the Enneagram type fives tonight, God is saying to you, to your heart, I invite you to be free from the fear of scarcity and not having all that you need to survive. Trust in me, you will not run out. I am generous and a loving God who is mindful of every single one of your needs. To the Enneagram type nines, God is saying to you, I invite you to be free from the fear of uncertainty and the false notion that you must be watchful and diligent to assure your protection from harm. You are safe with me. I am a faithful God who will always be with you. For the Enneagram type sevens tonight, God is saying to each of you, I invite you to be free from the fear of being limited and cut off from what you think will give you life. Embrace my love for you and trust that you will not miss out on the abundance that I offer. I am with you in all situations. For the Enneagram eights, God is saying to each one of you, I invite you to be free from the fear of being unprotected and vulnerable. I will guard you with my love. Let go of the false idea that you must stand your ground and have your way to maintain control over your life. And to the Enneagram nines, God is saying to you tonight, I invite you to be free from the false belief that you do not matter and believe that your place in the world is crucial to the unfolding of my purposes. I see you and the passions I have given you are worth pursuing. Will you just in your heart right now, I'm gonna pray over you, but will you just invite the Holy Spirit? Will you invite the Holy Spirit to examine your life, to examine your heart, to examine your motives and ask him, God, what needs to be revealed to me? What are the areas that you are calling me to cultivate? And God, where can I stop working so hard? God, I just pray right now as a way of solidifying this night and the words of freedom that you spoke 
over each one of us, God, as a way of encouraging our spirits. God, that you would let this resonate. God, that it would take deep root in each one of our lives. God, I pray that this is the start of a profound work inside each one of us, God. A profound work that says we want to be whole and healthy and be everything that God has created us to be. God, we are asking the power of your Holy Spirit to do a supernatural work. God, those areas where we have bought into lies, those areas where we have given over to anger, to shame, to fear. God, we want to surrender them to you. And God, help each one of us to be brave in Jesus' name. God, that you would help each one of us to be courageous in acknowledging the areas that need work, but embracing the areas that are strong and that we offer to the world. And I pray this in Jesus' mighty and powerful name. Everybody say it together. Amen. Amen, amen. We, um, Pastor Mike and I were talking and, and, and wanted, before the evening ended, we wanted the opportunity just really maybe as families and if, if you're not here, maybe with a family, maybe with a, a friend group, to just pray together uh, that God would help us in our relationships to show grace yeah. and understanding. I love what the psalmist said. He, he told God, he said, God, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Amen. Amen. And I think maybe if, if nothing else was taken, which I know there has been, but if nothing else was taken, I think the greatest win tonight would be leaving here instead of feeling like your complexity is a problem. Come on. Feel like your complexity is a blessing. Amen. That God made you so, so uh, so complex because he has something amazing he wants to do with your life. So would you stand uh, with me? And if you're here with a spouse, would you take them by the hand? If your children are here, maybe grab your kids and, and they, can, they can pray with you. If you're not here, I hate to single you out if you're not here with a family, but maybe a, a friend group. If not, you're, you're more than welcome to pray by yourself. All the fives are excited about that. <laughs> Circle up. I got stereotype jokes all day. Oh, come on. <laughs> The fives are like, can we go behind the curtain? Can we just, I'd like to, I'm sorry. Let's hold hands. I make fun of me because it's me. Um, So here's what I'd love for us to do. I think I'm going to let you pray. I'm going to pray kind of on the mic, but I want you to pray. I think it'd be amazing if we just loud enough for the person we're with to hear, if we were to just thank God for the way that they created our spouse, our our children, our parents. Hey, if you're a teenager in the room, I think it'd be amazing for your parents to hear you thanking God for the mom and dad that you have and the way that that he made them and, and maybe praying for grace. God, give me the grace to love my parents or my children or my spouse more. Help me to appreciate the way that you've made them. Help me to notice my own tendencies in the ways that maybe I'm making my marriage or my home unhealthy. Yeah. I think that would be a great way for us to pray together because we've had fun, we've laughed, we've learned so much, but I really believe the Holy Spirit would love to do something to just seal everything that we have heard and Amen. experienced here tonight. So can we just do that? I'm going to pray, but I'm really asking you to pray with us. Let's pray out loud together and ask the Holy Spirit to just help us and our families. Let's pray right now. God, thank you for every husband in the room. God, I pray for every husband, how you've made them. Thank you, God, for the way that you've made every husband in the room, the way you created them, God. And I pray that they would not view their complexity as a problem. I pray they would not view their personality as a limitation. 
but God, that they would view themselves as uniquely gifted to lead their family like no one else could lead their family, God. That you brought them to that place with that family because that is the family that you had in your design for them to lead unbelievably well, God. I pray for every wife in the room. God, I pray that, that, I, I pray that they would appreciate their complexity, God. I pray, God, that they would feel loved. I pray, God, that they would feel accepted and secure in in your love, God. God, I pray for every mom and dad in the room, God. I pray that they would not view themselves as a bad parent. I pray that they would not view themselves as, uh, as the wrong parent or the wrong type of personality to be a good parent or the wrong type of parent to be able to love God. That's not the way you've made them. That's not the home that you've put them in, God. I pray that they would be confident in their ability to lead their family and to love their children. God, I pray that they would recognize the areas where maybe they can be unhealthy and the Holy Spirit would begin to help them to pull them back into health, God. I pray for every child in the room. I pray for every student in the room, God. And maybe we're not sure what we are yet or how to, what type we are, God, but we know that we can love more, appreciate more, encourage more. That maybe those things about our mom and dad that can annoy us sometimes, we'd begin to appreciate them, God, because you gave them to us. You, you gave us the parents we have because they have something that will make our lives better and more beneficial. I pray for every marriage in the room, God, that seems broken or fragile or, or, or that there, there's a tug of war going on. God, I pray that, that we would put down the tug of war rope, the weapons, God, and we would give grace, more grace and more grace because you made this beautiful. In Jesus' name, we pray. Everybody said amen. Amen.